0: Welcome to This is Type 1, Real Life Type 1 Diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell and I've had Type 1 Diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about Type 1 Diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting and looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 107 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today I'm talking with Richard Vaughn, a man who has lived with type 1 diabetes for over 75 years. He's one of the most positive voices I've seen in all of the diabetes Facebook groups. He regularly posts long-form posts about his life with type 1, the lessons he's learned, the pictures to go along with it. I've wanted to talk with Richard on the pod for a while, and now here we are. But before I dive in, I want to mention that Richard wrote a book 11 years ago about his first 64 years with diabetes, and you can find the link to that book in the show notes. We had such an interesting conversation that both of us forgot to mention the book. Literally, I stopped recording and he goes, we forgot to mention the book. So Jesse is out this week, which means I have the win, the fail, and the hack. My win this week is actually a win from today, the day of recording. I changed my site between calls when I noticed that my blood sugar was getting stubborn at the high line and my high line is 40 MGDL, not 40, 140 MGDL. So it was getting stubborn kind of at that high line. I had about 16 units left and decided that it would be better for me overall to change my site right then. I only had a few minutes between calls, but it was the right decision since I started coming down right after. And my fail is not exactly mine per se. It's more the smoke and the wildfires happening right now in Montana. It's The smoke especially has been keeping me from going hiking, but today the smoke cleared out. And then I looked at the forecast and tomorrow it's supposed to rain. So I I hope I can get a hike in, hopefully not that wet of a hike, but uh, it'll be the first smoke-free hike in a month, which is how long it's been basically smoky uh, at the time of this recording. And then the hack this week is to share your story with someone. It doesn't have to be on a platform like this podcast or even in a diabetes group on Facebook, and it doesn't even have to be on the diabetes app. It could just be a friend or a coworker. It can be one person. Sharing your story means that you don't have to hold it by yourself and feel so alone. Sometimes opening up can ease the stress of this condition. And now, here is my conversation with Richard. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So I have seen your long-form posts all over the Diabetes Facebook groups, and I've always been astonished by just how much you've experienced over the years with with diabetes. So for our listeners, could you give us a brief introduction of who you are, how long diabetes has been in your life, and the story of your diagnosis?
1: Okay. I'm Richard Vaughn. I live in Kingston, New York. But I was born in 1939 in Roanoke, Virginia. I was diagnosed in 1945, a few days after my uh, sixth birthday. And uh, there was not very much known about diabetes back then. And uh, so it took a long while before my diagnosis occurred. I was suffering from the symptoms. My parents took me to four different doctors before they found one who knew what was wrong with me, or at least he guessed he knew. My blood was tested for sugar for the first time ever, and I was finally diagnosed, but by that time, I was in awful shape. My body was skin and bones and ribs sticking out, and I I couldn't walk very well at all, but... I was started on animal insulin in the hospital the next day after my diagnosis, and I recovered remarkably well, very quickly. And uh, so that's my intro.
0: (laughs) So you've had diabetes for over 75 years at this point. Is that right?
1: That's correct. It'll be 76 years next month.
0: Wow. It'll be 26 years for me next month, too. So that's kind of cool.
1: Okay, um, well, you are you are a veteran too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Long hauler, yeah. What was it like going from animal insulin to analog insulin? Because I know there's a big difference between them. And like animal insulin is a lot more unstable. So what was that transition like for you?
1: Well, animal insulin was a 24-hour insulin. And my doctor told me I only need one injection per day. So when I got up in the morning, there was no way of testing my blood at home. So I tested my urine and based it on the outcome of the urine test, We just wasn't no numbers involved. It was just a color. And depending on the color of the urine test, I guessed at what was appropriate for my insulin dosage. And I didn't have to do any other urine test or any other action until the next morning one shot one urine test per day now I have read other people who were diagnosed even for even before I was a few years earlier and they said their doctors had them testing before each meal and they would judge by that they weren't taking insulin before each meal but they would judge what they should eat, how much, and uh, if they were eating things that they knew raised their blood sugar, they would refrain from eating those things uh, at that time. But my doctor never had me uh, test my urine before each. I wish he had. I think I would have made out better. And I didn't start pubic insulin until the late 1990s, around 1996, I think. I believe that is officially when Humalog first became available. And uh, what a difference. Uh, Now, all of a sudden, I was injecting several times per day. I didn't like that instead of just the one time with the animal insulin. But I saw that I was – oh, and I also learned about carbohydrates – And I found out there were certain carbs, that, uh, certain foods that acted fast and others that acted more slowly. So I started taking all that information into play and I started having fewer high blood sugars. And uh, I started using a glucometer around 1985. That was 40 years after my diagnosis, so I didn't know what my blood sugar was at any time during my first 40 years. And uh, it worked out very well. Frequent shots before each meal, avoiding certain foods, what a tremendous difference. Things improved a great deal. So the the uh, analog insulin, hemolog, was very good for me.
0: I am just kind of, shocked that for 40 years you never knew what your blood sugar was that's just
1: i went to see my doctor every six months he was a gp general practitioner he had a setup in sort of a mini lab of sorts he would determine my blood sugar with an actual blood test he removed from my arm and he would tell me, oh, your blood sugar is so high. That was almost his response almost every time. But I didn't get a number. I mean, I, when I started, I was six years old, so I guess the numbers wouldn't have meant very much to me. Right. But uh, that's the only blood testing for 40 years, twice a year.
0: <laughs> I am just, I I would, oh, I would be not in a good place. <laughs> I could only test, was it twice a year? Wow. So it, so I know that people didn't know very much about type one way back then, but what was the level of knowledge among your friends and family? Like how did your friends and family react to the diagnosis? Did they treat you any differently? Like what was that experience like?
1: Well, I mentioned earlier that the first three doctors we saw had all this the classic symptoms of type one But they didn't know, they must not have known much about diabetes because they didn't recognize what my symptoms meant. Friends in school, uh, I didn't really communicate. I was in first grade. I had just started first grade when I was diagnosed. I don't think I should have been sent to school that year because I had the symptoms. I was very weak. I should have been held back and started school the next year. I think it would have been a lot better for me. I didn't talk to other children. When I was in high school, I opened up to some people, i was very more accustomed to diabetes. They uh, had never heard of it. They didn't know what diabetes was. I tried to describe it. They couldn't understand why I had to take shots. And uh, they didn't, I don't think they even heard of pancreas before. And uh, I'm certain they hadn't heard of insulin. It was when I was in college, I began to have some success with an understanding of my condition. One of the teachers there had type one. And uh, except for her, I don't think the teachers knew too much about it either. I was a math major and she was one of my math teachers. So we talked about it. But my friends in classes, they didn't seem to understand it even that far along. So it was sometime after graduation and even after college that I was opening up and getting some response and people were showing interest. (laughs) So that's the way it was back then.
0: How did your parents handle it?
1: My mother was sitting in a chair in the office the day that we were told I had diabetes. My parents, my relatives, my neighbors had not heard of diabetes. She turned... Why does she share Her face was, uh, I'm glad she was sitting down. She would have passed out. My father was standing. He was holding my baby sister. She was uh, four. I was six. And uh, they really didn't have any response. They were speechless. And my doctor went on to explain. I, I honestly cannot remember. Remember, I was just a little after my sixth birthday. My doctor did not. The doctor that diagnosed me—he did not go into any detail. Maybe because he didn't know that much about diabetes either. He was a general practitioner, but he told us there was a doctor who would see me in a hospital and get me started on insulin, and that I would be in good shape in a few days. And he was right. So uh, they took me the next morning to the hospital, and Doctor Davis, my Lifesaver <laughs> did a miracle for me. He gave me the insulin uh, and I recovered from i felt like uh, i mean I feel like now I must have been in almost in a vegetable state. I wasn't eating. I had lost my appetite. I hadn't eaten for days I, If I had eaten, I don't think I could have kept it on my stomach and uh that edible insulin did the thing it did it it was it was wonderful. I started gaining weight before I even left the hospital. I don't know how long I was in the hospital, maybe a week. And uh, I was sent home. I was walking. I had strength again. And uh, everything was just good. I was very happy. And my mother uh, was especially happy. I I had uh, some seizures at night. I think it's because the... Animal insulin I had used, was using at that time, acted 24 hours, and it acted the same in each of those 24 hours. I didn't have a fast-acting insulin, and uh, during the night, it was working like it had worked during the day. Well, during the day, I ate food. I didn't have reactions during the day. But during the night I wasn't eating anything, and that insulin kept on working and working. And that's why I would have loads at night. And so I did have uh I did I did have some seizures. My mother kept a glass of half-filled with water and some sugar alongside. She would pour the sugar into the water, bring it in, and try to pour a little bit of it into my mouth a little bit of it at a time to bring me out of those seizures. Even after I was married, I was married in 1964, and that was long before there was a fast-acting insulin. And it was before 1964, it was about 20 years before I had a cacometer. My wife saw me have seizures. And she did the same thing. My mother instructed her how to, to deal with that. And she did a wonderful job yes. bringing me out of those seizures. You hear her? Do you hear her in the background? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she hasn't had to do that now in a very long time. I I haven't had seizures like that since I started using a Google commenter and having uh, the fast-acting insulin, and then I had the insulin pump. I didn't start using an insulin pump until 2007, but that has helped a lot too.
0: Which insulin pump are you on?
1: I'm using the Medtronic 630. I have not decided that I want to use the 670, the 770, or the tandem pump which tells you when you need insulin and then gives you the insulin that they think you need. I don't like that. It scares me. A lot of people saying it works great, but my body works differently. I can I can put on a new set, infusion set, and it may not start working out well. Other times it works too well. It seems that I have a lot of scar tissue which is uh, scarring beneath the the skin surface that doesn't show on the skin surface. And if I uh, put my infusion set in an area where I have some scar tissue, then I'm going to run high for a while. I may even have to change the position of my infusion set to take care of that. Um, so I can have high blood sugar after uh, I've installed a new infusion set. And then, if I'm in a place where I have little or no uh, scar tissue, I can have lows. So you see, how is a uh, how is the Medtronic 670 supposed to know whether I'm having uh, this kind of a problem and uh, and how much insulin to give me? You might be giving me too much if, in a place where I have. Uh, no, uh, have no scar tissue or it might be giving me too little if I'm in a place where I do have scar tissue. I just think it's, I've learned how to control my blood sugar levels very well without it. And I want to make my own decisions. So there. Yeah,
0: yeah that's totally valid. Nobody's forcing you to get onto the CGMs. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually how it would work is the CGM would read to the pump and i i will admit that there are some problems with it sometimes the sensor's off and so it'll give a little bit too much or a little bit like or not enough and then i have to deal with that and that's something i've learned how to manage so i prefer oh. seeing what the blood sugars are and then checking it against my meter and right. i have my sensor on my forearm right now so uh-huh. I can see that okay but but it, it's all a, a closed loop system and there are there are problems with it. <laughs> I will admit so which
1: that. which pump? Which pump are you using then?
0: I'm on the Tandem T Slim, and then my co-host, who's not on with us today, she has the Medtronic 770G with the Medtronic sensor.
1: Uh huh. I bet yours is better than hers. It is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. Yes, my I, I I do think mine is a better system.
1: Yeah, I have been in a a support group for Tandem just listening in and they, some of them had left Medtronic and they, that's the kind of person you need to talk to when you make the change. They said, Oh, it's so much better with a tender. But on the other hand, I know some people who are using the uh, 670 or 770 and, and they say, Oh, it's working great. I guess for some people it's fine. So maybe for your friend, it's working good for her.
0: Yeah, that's that's why I'm kind of passionate about letting the diabetics in the world have a choice about what tech or not tech they use instead of the insurance companies telling people what they can or can't have based on what they cover. So that's a big pet peeve of mine is the insurance company saying, oh, we don't cover this pump. You have to have this other pump when the first one might work better.
1: Sounds good. Okay.
0: Okay. So what are your favorite and least favorite things about having type one diabetes?
1: Well, my my favorite occurred when I knew what I was supposed to do and finally get some control. <laughs> uh, another favorite is uh, finally finding people who, uh, whom I could talk to and who were experiencing the same thing. And that's what I found online. Uh, my first, uh, online support group was dlife.com maybe you haven't heard of that one it's an old one they had a lot of uh, different uh, forums and i jo- i typed into the type 1 forum a lot of people this was the first time i was able to talk to other type 1 people and that was in 2006 now i have learned that there were forums before that, but I didn't do nothing about them, and uh, so I was a latecomer as far as getting in on the action. Uh, but uh, that was wonderful talking to other people who had type one, and we could compare notes and sympathize, talk about our failures and our successes. And uh, uh, but I had to wait so long. I mean, I was fifty-five years to end the first the previous century and then 2006 that was 61 years after my diagnosis that I was able to talk to other type 1 diabetics.
0: Wow. So before then you had never met another one besides the math teacher?
1: Well, I went to the waiting room to see my doctor uh, twice per year and uh, there were people in the waiting room but I'm not aware that they were diabetics. And uh, because he was seeing people of all types and a few of them were diabetics. No, I didn't in the waiting room at the doctor's office or anywhere else. I didn't encounter. I had four type two relatives. But uh, so they had some knowledge of what was going on, but I didn't have any type one relatives. I was the only type one uh, in my family or among my relatives, the only one. I had uh, three different kinds of measles. I had uh, my tonsils removed, bad tonsils. I had, when I was five, all those other things occurred before I was five years old. But when I was five years old, I had chicken pox and mumps. They were so close together, I think, that I may have had one before I got over the other one. That's what, caused my uh, the first appearance of my symptoms I think those two diseases led to internal damage and caused my diabetes so that's when my parents started taking me to doctors you you may have encountered this yourself in discussions a lot of people seem to think that it was a disease that caused their not just a few I'm talking about a lot of people diagnosed with type 1 it started with a the aftermath of some disease they had. And I certainly think that's what happened with me.
0: Mine, My parents think that a mine was triggered by uh, a vaccine. It was one of the hepatitis vaccines that right after that, I started showing symptoms.
1: Oh, I've heard of that. There's a doctor, I can't remember his name in Maryland, who wrote uh, articles thinking that a lot of his patients were diabetic because of the effects of a vaccine. I don't think that ever caught on in a big way, but he was adamant about that. He really did think that was a major cause of type 1.
0: I would not be surprised if we start seeing an uptick in type 1 cases with the COVID vaccine.
1: Yeah, oh, I've already read that uh, that there have been some cases that occurred after uh COVID and the vaccine. So I think this is something that's going to come out more. I agree with you.
0: And it might not just be isolated to type one. It can, I think it can trigger almost any autoimmune disorder. My sister had COVID late last year and she might actually have PCOS now. So there's a relation between either getting COVID, getting the COVID vaccine as some kind of thing related to that and developing autoimmune, hmm. which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. What do you think are the top three most significant changes between when you were diagnosed and now in the medical world with type one?
1: Going from animal insulin to uh, where I was Testing my blood sugar, but I'm sorry when I was testing my urine sugar. To using a glucometer, that was that was so important and a major change. I should mention that when I started using a glucometer, I think it was an AccuCheck Two, their second model, a big machine took a big drop of blood, and uh, I had. The uh, the gadget that I use to punch my finger, they call it uh, the guillotine <laughs> because it had a blunt end. It didn't have a really sharp end, and it came down like a guillotine bang into my finger, and wow, it hurt, and it left a sore finger for a long time. I should have been testing several times today, but I, I wasn't doing that a couple times maybe and gradually getting used to it. And I didn't have a more appropriate device for punching my finger and drawing blood for a long time. So I used the guillotine for several years. I'm hesitating because I forgot the question. <laughs>
0: top three biggest changes between when you were diagnosed and with with the medical
1: world. Thank you. What can I say? I'm 81. I misplaced my memory sometimes that I think may of all the things I have experienced being able to test my own blood at home. That might be the most rewarding change I have experienced. I mean, I I did without a pump for a long time. But I was a, at least I was able to test my blood sugar. I guess the second change would be going from analogue insulin to analog insulin, and uh, the Humalog that I started using in the late ninety late nineteen nineties, and am still using I'm completely satisfied with it. I, I have good control with with Humalog, Lilly insulin, in Indianapolis. That's where they're located. Lily uh, sends out medals. Uh, they send out medals for 10, 25, 50, 75 years. I didn't know about that until I was ready for a 50-year medal, and Lily sent me a 50-year medal. I also have a 50-year medal and a 75-year medal from the Jocelyn W. Center in Boston. Uh, let's see. I'm going to turn my computer screen around. <laughs> do you see the medal?
0: I do. And I'll take a screenshot for our listeners to put in the show notes so you can see it too. That it's is in
1: really a, It's in a frame.
0: Yeah, that is awesome.
1: That's my Jocelyn 75-year medal. A third important thing, I guess, would be the pump. It has helped a lot. I was having good. My first A1C was in 1980. I think A1Cs were begun in 1976. My doctor started them with his diabetic patients. He's a an internal medicine doctor. He started his diabetic patients in 1980. My first A1C was 10 point something. And I imagine that was even worse before that. During my early years, I had an 11 later on. I was getting a handle on using carb, paying attention to the foods I was eating, uh, but I still wasn't using the fast-acting insulin. I still didn't have a C. No, I didn't have a blood testing machine yet. That was about five years later. So I stayed in the... Low 10s, upper 9s, improving a little bit at a time. But then when I had A1Cs and I had a blood testing machine, I dropped down dramatically into the 8s, the 7s, and uh, things kept improving. Uh, For the last 25 years now, I have had A1Cs in the 5.4 to 6.4 range. For twenty-five years.
0: That is so cool.
1: I have a friend in England who online made a graph of all of my A1Cs. I had them in a chart. He took the chart and made a graph that shows the very, very, very dramatic way of how my blood sugars dropped. And then everything leveled off in the narrow range between five, four and six, four. It's just like almost a straight horizontal line (laughs) and i'm glad he did that for me and i do post it once in a while in the blogs that i present on my uh, facebook page
0: i did the same thing with my a1c results because i have them going back to i think about 2002 or so and for those first several years it was all in the like the sevens eights nines i had 110 like just like kind of seven eights. And then I found low carb and it went all the way down to the sixes. And then I started intermittent fasting and doing this podcast actually. And then it dropped right into the fives. It's just so cool.
1: A lot of people ask me, well, all those years that I had no knowledge of uh, didn't I didn't know. I wonder if there was an endocrinologist back in the forties and fifties do you know? <laughs> Do you I don't. think there were endocrinologists back then?
0: I think if there were, they would have had to be very few of them and they would be very specialized and it probably wouldn't have been on type 1 diabetes for endocrine. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, well, even my endocrinologist now has almost all of her patients are type 2. That's an understandable situation. And she had never encountered a type 1 who had lived with diabetes so long. So I'm sort of unique. And I think she has, I think I, she's a little bit nervous when I go for my visits. My insurance company wants me to go every three months. So I make an appearance. And uh, I think she's learned a lot from my knowledge. And, uh, but she she's helped me too. She's given me some good advice. And she's is important to me because Without her, I think I would have a lot of trouble getting my insurance and Medicare to cover my pump and pump supplies, my Dexcom G6 and those supplies, my insulin, my, my test strips, and some of my medications. I don't know exactly when I'm supposed to work this in, but I wanted to talk about this. Go for it. Uh, in the late 1990s, I started gaining weight. I gained a lot of weight. I gained when I changed from animal insulin to analog insulin. And I have read, you may have read this too, that uh, these fast acting insulins cause these cells to store fat. Yep. And I think that partially caused, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I gained 57 pounds. And I was, eating less, exercising more. I was doing everything I was supposed to. I was careful with what I ate, but I gained 57 pounds. I wasn't seeing an endo at that time. I was still seeing my internal medicine doctor. He had died. He diagnosed insulin resistance, which is a characteristic for type two. And, uh, I think of it as the defining characteristic of type 2. And uh, I couldn't believe it at first, but then I started researching. And when I when I joined uh, diabetes groups online, I found there were a number of type 1 diabetics with insulin resistance. And almost all of them were diagnosed with that after a weight gain. I have four type 2 relatives. I think I inherited a gene that manifested itself when I had gained those pounds. Weight gain caused that gene to materialize. That's my theory. My doctor doesn't disagree with me. My endo doesn't either. So I think this is a believable situation. Okay, so I started using metformin. I was using 2000 milligrams of metformin ER. That's the type you only need to take twice per day. And with metformin ER, I started losing weight. And in about a year and a half, I lost 57 pounds. I was back. In fact, I even lost more than that. I was back to a good weight. And with the good weight, with a glucometer, with fast-acting insulin, I uh, I started having really, really good control. I, at the present time, my preferred range is from seventy to one hundred and fifty. I'm in that range only about seventy-five percent of the time, because I I have some lows below seventy. I have some highs above 150. It's typical for me after breakfast to go up as high as 170 or even higher. I don't seem to be able to adjust my programming on my pump to prevent that. So, but my eventual aim is if I can get better control, is to try to stay between my my endo says, don't do 70, do 80, 80 to 150. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I really don't. Uh, the interference of, of, of the um, scar tissue and inconsistencies caused by that might prevent that from happening. But, uh, but hey, I've been type 1 for 75 years. Next month will be 76. I don't have any serious complications. My eyes are good. I. Uh, Had to renew my driver's license last year. I went to see my eye doctor to get new glasses. I thought that would be a good idea. And he said, Hey, you shouldn't be having to wear glasses to drive your car. Your vision is good. So, for the first time, I mean, I had been wearing glasses It said on my driving that it was required. And, uh, but he he was so pleased with my eyesight. He wrote out, a permission for me to not have to wear glasses. So here at age at age uh 81 and with 75 years of diabetes for the first time, I don't have to wear glasses to drive my car. Isn't that crazy?
0: <laughs> that is awesome though. I think I think <laughs> getting better control over diabetes helps your eyeballs. We did an episode well, I had,
1: on, uh, on I guess so. I guess so. Uh ten years ago I had an ophthalmologist who diagnosed retinopathy, beginning stages. And he said, You gotta do something about this, or I'm gonna have to uh to use laser treatment, and it's going to burn holes in parts of your eye that will interfere with your vision.
0: Mm.
1: And so it was I was already scheduled to start using a pump. Before I saw him the next time, I saw him every six months. Before I saw him the next time, I was using a pump. And I learned how to program that rascal. And everything was going so good that when I saw him, he says, you don't have any retinopathy now. So it was the pump that did that for me. And I haven't had any retinopathy since. So my eyes are good. Uh, my kidneys are good. I have had—I uh, think it's called an ultrascan test. My uh, kidneys are in good shape. That's
0: awesome. And
1: my heart—I've had uh, what's the name of the test for for my heart? Uh, a <laughs> <Echo laughs> I can't remember there? the. What's it? Yeah, that. But th- there's one where you run real fast on a. Treadmill.
0: Oh, I don't know what that one's called.
1: <laughs> which I, I can't do anymore. My legs aren't that good for running on a treadmill. But they gave me a shot which activated my heart, made it beat faster. And I was laying down all the time, and they've tested it. And uh, I don't uh, have any problems with my heart. So those are the big three, right? Eyes, kidneys, heart, all very healthy. I have neuropathy. Mm-hmm. Uh especially bad in my uh feet and legs, and it's getting worse. I'm not yet using a cane or a walker, but I think in the near future I'll have to start doing that. I have numbness, I have poor balance. I went to I was falling down some in the year 2018. My podiatrist, foot doctor, sent me to to get uh some exercises that might help me with preventing my slowing, uh, falling down. And it helped. Uh, I went for six weeks. I went to uh, a, uh, a, a local place that uh, helped me with, uh, with that. I haven't fallen down since the year 2018. So learning particular exercises has helped me a great deal. There's this foam pad that I stand on, a hard foam. I'm supposed to put my feet directly together with one foot mostly in front of the other. And uh, I stand close to my treadmill so I can reach and grab that arm of the treadmill if I have to. And I stand for 30 seconds. And then I switch my feet position so the other foot is the, in, in front and do it again. I do this frequently. That's one that I think that exercise has helped me with balance more than any other exercise I use, but I haven't fallen down since the, since the year 2018. Well, I, I have good doctors. Kingston has only 27,000 people. It's a small city. I live 90 miles north, northwest of New York city. I don't go into New York city. I don't like the place. <laughs> and, uh, my county has done very well with COVID. Uh, small population. Kingston is the only city in the county. A lot of little, little, little villages. We don't have towns here. We have villages. That's what they're called. And uh, it's done very well uh, since uh, the Delta variant has appeared. There are it's picking up. We have a five percent increase in in uh, in our county now. My wife and I have not had the symptoms. I know that I am very high risk at my age and with diabetes for so long. So I have been very careful. But I have a lot of doctor's appointments. Uh, podiatrist, uh, neurologist, uh, endo. I still see my uh, uh, internal medicine doctor. And... Um, my ophthalmologist, and um, I have so many, I'm probably forgetting a few. <laughs> um, we, we got the shots for the COVID. Uh, my wife in the background, she's reminding me we we have yeah. had our vaccines. Yes, I had my vaccines. I had the Moderna vaccine in January and February. So I was, because of my being high risk, I was given Uh, Sort of a first crack at it when they got started. (laughs) And uh, I didn't have any side effects. Makes me wonder if I really had an an active uh, or good vaccine because I I had no side effects from the first or the second. My wife uh, is much healthier than me. She doesn't have any diseases. But she did have a side effect from the second Moderna vaccine shot.
0: Yeah, I think it just affects everyone differently. So overall, over your life, it seems you've had a very positive mindset about type one. So this question is about burnout, and I've seen in a a post of yours that you you've never experienced burnout. But I want to kind of figure out what 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 does burnout mean to you, and do you have any advice for diabetics who might be feeling burnt out?
1: In private conversations on uh, Facebook, somebody will tell me. That they are, they may not use the word burnout, but they describe what they're going through. And it's certainly a burnout that they're having. Uh, I've even had individuals who stopped taking their insulin. It's crazy. Type 1 diabetics, and I don't think they had had diabetes very long. I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm going to stop taking my insulin. And of course, they got very ill and they're in the hospital or whatever. They had to start using it again but they didn't want to. And do I have to do this? That's kind of the attitude, I think, of someone having a burnout. I don't know if there are diabetics who've had diabetes a very long time who have burnouts. Uh, I kind of doubt it. If they have had the experience that, hey, what I'm having to do might be annoying, but it's working, it's keeping me healthy, I'm not getting any of those awful side effects, so why would they stop under those circumstances? I think it's in the beginning stages that uh, uh, burnout is more likely to, happen, to to happen.
0: A lot of um, what we've seen from talking to different guests is that it, like the definition of burnout varies from person to person. Sometimes it just means you're tired of dealing with it. For me, it's like I get mad at my pump but it's not really burnout to the point where I'm not going to take care of myself. Right. So there's kind of a range of definitions that people kind of go with, but uh, it also has a, a different definition called diabetes distress. And that's just like that, all of the stress of diabetes just kind of on your shoulders and you can't really seem to see how you can handle it long-term. So I think you're actually a really great example of how to live your life as if diabetes does not control you. That's pretty much what you're doing.
1: Okay, that makes good sense. I'm like you told me that. I, I, I actually, I don't think I have researched that to find the definition. <laughs> so you've given me a good definition, but I have talked to people. I can't, I can't uh, convince them. Hey, turn this around. You're going to be very ill if you don't. They've already heard that probably a thousand times, and uh, I think this is something they have to work out for themselves. Uh, do you know how to uh, to talk to somebody and convince them that they have to resume their their uh, treatments?
0: What well, you, would you can't say? convince anybody to do anything they don't want to do. It's right from from my perspective. It's about showing them the op- like the options. And if you continue going down this path you're on right now, this is what's going to happen. It's a choice you're making, and it's a choice you can change. It's just up to you and what you want for your future.
1: When I talk to people, uh, whether they are having trouble or not, uh, give us some tips. They, they They think I am a mastermind on diabetes. Just because I've had it for so long, I don't really consider myself a mastermind at all. Give me some tips. How can I get better control in what I'm having now? Sometimes I find that some of them are seeing a general practitioner. So I say, hey, get an endocrinologist. And, uh, and uh, let them advise you. And maybe you should also see, there are some very good diabetes educators. I know one in my area who is very good. There is a diabetes center here in Kingston, New York. And she is in charge of the diabetes center. And in, uh, she's not an endocrinologist, but she's a, a diabetes educator. And I think she has helped a lot of people. So I tell people who want tips about those two things and then I ask them if they are using fast acting insulin. Do you realize that there are some people still using animal insulin?
0: No, I did not know that.
1: Yes, uh, in some in some parts of Europe, you can order the animal insulin and receive it. Your doctor has to approve Your local doctor has to approve. There are people who did so well on on animal insulin. I guess I did too. I didn't have any complications. They don't see any point in switching to any other kind. So they're using animal insulin and still doing very well.
0: I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's it. An old line that uh, has come into play in my life a lot of times. <laughs> so I tell these people about the the endocrinologist, the W's educator, and uh, I try to convince them I think they should use analog insulins. And uh, I don't know that I've talked to anybody into it, but maybe they, at least that they tried. I make sure they have a glucometer, that they're using it, they should before each meal, and when they feel low, and what have you, and uh, so I, I just go on and on with these things. Uh, I don't know whether any of my tips are are good. Uh, I tell them how much my pump has helped me, how much my my Dexcom has helped me. I started using the Dexcom before it was good. They really early Dexcom. I think it was the Dexcom Seven and the Seven Plus. They yep, were awful. Those Were the first two ones? Yep. They were awful, and uh, I stopped using them. I got disgusted, and uh, so I was using my uh, glucometer a lot, uh, a lot more than I'm using it now. Then the I don't I, I started liking them when the G4 came out.
0: That's, That's the that one was I pretty. Started
1: on. You started with that. I did. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it was good. I'm disappointed that the G5 and the G6, I'm using the G6 now, the transmitter battery only lasts three months. Uh. Why not five months like the G4? (laughs) Uh. Like the G5. I think the G5 lasts, I think the battery lasts five months. Those are expensive to buy a new transmitter. And uh, the G6 only lasts three months.
0: But yeah, I have a I have a problem with the G6 not lasting that long.
1: <laughs> oh, the transmitter, you mean?
0: Yeah, like if if it's it's only supposed to last for ninety to one hundred and ten days. I've had mine fail in like seventy days before.
1: Oh, you're talking about the sensor, I think.
0: No, the transmitter, the thing, the it went from like six month battery to a three month battery, and sometimes my transmitter will fail before the 90 days is up so i have to call dexcom and get the transmitter replaced which has actually resulted in having extra transmitters which rarely happens which is cool but it's it's still frustrating to have a like a transmitter die before it's supposed to
1: huh? okay there's a service you i found it on facebook if you send them your uh, if you have to send them two g6 transmitter somehow or another they use the combination of the two and create a new with a new battery for 99 that's a savings for 99 they can send you an a uh, an upgraded g6 transmitter that will work another three months and uh, i know there are people uh, there was another service that did this for G five and G six, and they only charged six dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, sixty dollars. And I had new uh, transmitters with new batteries for both the G five and G six that I received from them. And uh, but now the young lady who runs that service, she has had a kidney and pancreas transplant and it's working very well for her but now she has COVID and everything is just her service for people has stopped I, I, I just hope she lives yeah uh, that's that's awful to, to have had those surgeries it was about a year ago and she was doing very well with it but now she has COVID and uh, I'm really worried about her it's too bad
0: yeah, we interviewed another um another transplant patient. He was pancreas only, but he's he's basically the same way. He's very careful about uh going out. He is very careful with his health and he also has those same worries about getting COVID. So, and he's also in like constant mild organ rejection, which kind of sucks. So, I just hope he doesn't get COVID either.
1: <sighs> exactly. I have a Canadian friend she lives in the can- Canada's uh, capital, Walking. What's the, what's the name of that city? <laughs> she had both, her cousin gave her a kidney, and then she had a pancreas transplant on top of that 11 years ago. She has been with a transplanted kidney and pancreas for 11 years, and she has not used insulin. For those eleven years, now she may have broken her record because usually a transplanted pancreas doesn't last that well that long. But she's remarkable, and uh, I keep in touch with her. Uh, she may be one in a million. <laughs> That's awesome. But it happens. It, it's it's you have the chance. Oh, I have a friend in England who had. Uh, a pancreas transplant, and she also had to have a quadruple heart. I'm I'm losing words.
0: Bypass?
1: (laughs) Bypass. Quadruple bypass. All of that within a two-year period. Oh, geez. I think that's the worst case I I know of. We keep in touch, and she says she's doing all right. And but she is especially afraid of getting COVID. Understandable. She stays in her house all the time, and even her husband is afraid to go out. He might bring COVID home with him. So, but she's very jovial. She uh, cracks jokes and and has fun with her friends online. And I just hope that. Oh, she's a lot younger than me. She's in her, obviously, I'm 81. She's uh, uh, in her early 60s. So being younger than me helped her with the the bypass, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. So we are almost at an hour already. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. I just have a couple questions left for you before we kind of wrap up.
1: I've talked too much. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: it's okay. I love it. It's, it's awesome hearing stories from like way back then. Cause I, I couldn't imagine going through that, but here you are having lived it. It's just awesome to hear that you have had a su- successful life so far. So if you could go back to your young newly diagnosed self, what would, what are some things that you would tell him to help him make like the best decisions about his care? Like, especially given how little you knew about type one back then, what are some things that would have helped him going through it without all the tools that we have today?
1: I would, uh, well, not when I was so young, but by the time I was in my teens, I would say, Hey, go to a library and find some books on diabetes, which I never did. I don't know what kind of books I would have found back then, but uh, try to find some other people with, with diabetes. I didn't know I had type one. Types were not recognized. Doctors knew there were differences uh, in 1945 when I was diagnosed, but they didn't have names for the differences. They didn't know what caused the differences, what the differences were. I found in research that in 1959, they came up with, for lack of a better name, type one and type two. (laughs) So I think that was 14 years after my diagnosis. So I would tell myself to find out more about diabetes, don't just go by what the general practitioner is telling you. Try to find some other diabetics. There were diabetes camps back then. Way back then, there were diabetes camps. Why didn't my doctor tell me about it? Maybe he didn't know about them. Uh, I didn't know they existed. Uh, if I had gone to a diabetes camp and made friends, I think it would have been valuable for me. It would have been so valuable. Start communicating with other, di- other diabetics and find the best doctor you can. Find the endocrinologist. Because specialists on diabetes may have existed back then. Even in Roanoke, Virginia. I mean, Roanoke, Virginia has almost 100,000 people. I bet there were some specialists back then. I guess those are the the two things that uh, I would advise someone from back then to to search out and uh, try to get some information that you aren't getting from your doctor.
0: So that's the advice for someone from back then. What advice do you have for young diabetics who have it today? What would you say to them?
1: Well, I've already mentioned the things that I would be sure you have a good endocrinologist first. That's on the top. Test your blood sugar frequently with finger sticks. And after you have some handle on it, you know how to deal with carbohydrates, you know which foods are going to be most likely to raise your blood sugar fast, others slower. Pay attention to that. I eat very small servings of potatoes, and I don't eat much in the way of uh, um, noodles and spaghetti and macaroni. I sort of stay away from that. I'll have a spoonful of ice cream occasionally, but only if my blood sugar allows it. But I don't eat a big, fat ice cream cone. Uh, That's too much. I love fruits, and I love salads, and I'm glad I do like salads because that's a good thing. So I I would tell newly diagnosed people, they have got to watch what they eat. See a diabetes educator who can help them with that, and then maybe the endocrinologist. An endocrinologist doesn't typically have that much time to spend with you. But a diabetes educator might sit down with you for a half an hour or more, make an appointment, and you can get valuable, useful information from an educator. So those are some of the things. And gradually, don't start right off using the pump. Don't do it. It's premature. Learn how to control with finger sticks and with a glucometer. To work your way up to the point that you feel that you're having reasonably good control. And then start using a pump if you if you want to. And uh, you could start using a a CGM before you use the pump. That'll help you get better control. Um, And with the aid of the uh, the CGM and getting as good a control as possible, then maybe think about using a pump.
0: That's also a good. uh, That's a good tip also when your pump fails. So if you have a pump failure and you need to wait a few days to get a replacement and you have to go back to multiple daily injections, knowing how to do that is really important. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have long acting insulin, I think the, the tip is to give short acting insulin every three hours.
1: So oh, is that right? I hadn't heard that. Okay. Yeah.
0: So if your pump fails, every you don't years. have long acting every three hours, give short acting
1: Yeah, because uh, a lot of people say their insulin works for three or four hours. So that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, that's good sense. Thank you.
0: All right. If people want to reach out to you to learn more about you, where can they find you online?
1: I have joined diabetesdaily.com. I found that one in 2007. It's a good group, but it's not, I mean, you can post uh, something there and you will get very few replies. On Facebook, there are type one support groups. Some of them have as many as 40 plus thousand members. You get lots of replies. So I favor Facebook. And you can find me on my page, Richard Vaughn. I researched Richard Vaughn, and there were uh, like a dozen Richard Vaughns. I couldn't believe it. In some cases, Vaughn was spelled differently from mine, but uh, there are a lot of Richard Vaughns, so you have to find the one that lives in Kingston, New York, I guess, and uh, tap into his page. My page is open to the public, so you don't have to be a Facebook friend to talk to me there, to talk to me in the private message service, to read my post, to respond to my post, to share my post. doesn't require being a friend because it is open to the public. And I have a lot of people who do share my post and, and respond to uh, my post. And uh, interesting conversations. I like that.
0: All right. We will link to your Facebook page in the show notes. I wanted to say again, thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the show. It's been amazing listening to your stories.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: All right. Our question for you guys this week is what part of Richard's story did you enjoy the most? After 75 years of type one diabetes, he has collected a lot and we did not even touch on most of them. We just went through a few and he has plenty more. And that is it for this episode of This Is Type 1. Thank you so much to Richard for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find him on Facebook in any of the diabetes groups, and you can find the link to his Facebook page in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 107. That's the number 107. You can apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com with the number one. Our music is by Joseph McDade. If you want a hit of focused inspiration in your inbox every week, sign up for my email list at inspiredforward.com. Now, if you think diabetes is the center of your life and you don't want it to be like that anymore, please send me a message. I help type one diabetics go from stressed and overwhelm about the condition to relieved and self-confident that you can handle anything that diabetes throws at you. And I really believe that you can. I'm on all social media and Clubhouse as at inspiredforward.com. I'm on the diabetes app as at Colleen Mitchell and our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. You can find our podcast Instagram at thisistype1pod with the numeral one. Jessie's on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send her questions or comments about type one or about the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type one diabetes. Remember... You control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.